Hi, I'm Tiffany Patlin, host of the Tiffany Talks Health and Wellness Podcast, where I discuss tools, tips, and techniques to heal your mind, body, and soul. I am on a godly mission to heal the world. Thanks for joining me today for the Tiffany Talks Health and Wellness Podcast. Today, I have with me Tracy Terrace. Uh, She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She holds a master's degree in clinical psychology from Azusa Pacific University. She owns a group private practice where she and her team of therapists provide individual couples and family counseling in person and via telehealth. Thank you so much for being with us today, Tracy. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. I'm really excited to have you here because I know we talked briefly before and I know you have an amazing story to share. So if you would just tell us a little bit about your backstory, what got you to this point in your life to do this kind of line of work? Uh, um, I became a therapist primarily because I went to therapy for myself and it worked. At that time, I had no intention of becoming a therapist. I would just refer my friends and family to the therapist that I was seeing at the time. And a few years later, uh, after I had um, pretty much finished my process of therapy, which you never really finished, just there's always an ongoing growth and development process, but I wasn't necessarily actively in therapy at the time, but I was at work and I was working in this consulting firm or for this consulting firm. And the thought came to me, you need to be a therapist. And I thought it was odd, but it resonated like on a deep level. So I checked in with my husband and my three closest friends at the time and ran the idea by them like, hey, this is this is a thought that just came to me. And each one of them said some version of I can totally see you doing that or that sounds right. You know, and so. I looked into a couple of programs and I just chose one. I I chose one that was at a a private Christian university uh, because at the time um, I always believed in therapy and I always believed in psychology, but I was a part of a church at the time that didn't really think that, you know, psychology, like, you you know, just pray and read the Bible and, and then you should be fine. Um, it no, it no, it is no longer that way. But that's like some of the feedback that I received when I when I spoke with people about it. And so I chose a Christian university because I wanted to integrate aspects of my faith and the faith of other people because I knew that a lot of Christian people did not go to therapy because of those kinds of beliefs that you know God's got this. All you have to do is pray and. For some things that probably is the truth, but when you get down to like deep trauma and uh, lots of grief and deep depression that disorganizes your brain and anxiety that disorganizes your function, 
you should go and see someone about it. And so I, I applied to the program. It was Azusa Pacific University here in uh, California. And I got in and the rest is history. I went through all of, jumped through all of the hoops, did all of the programming and uh, education and training outside of the program and tested for licensure. And here I am. I, I'm currently owner of a group private practice where I employ other therapists and we provide couples, individual and family therapy to people who are hurting and people who want to work through whatever's going on in their lives. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we're, I'm sure the world is lucky to have you <laughs> to be able to help people. The more people out there that are in the mental health field, you know, the more people out there get help. So I love that. Um, you mentioned that you went to therapy. Um, would you mind sharing some of the trauma that you may have experienced that maybe some of our listeners might be experiencing? Yeah, my I was raised by a single mom. Uh, my parents separated. They didn't divorce until I was like an adult, but they they separated when I was quite young. And um, my mom was a working mom, so she worked a lot and was abusive, like physically and um, mentally and verbally. And um, I was the eldest of the, the six of us, um, actually five of us, because one of my sisters was raised by an aunt of mine, but I was the eldest. And so in my field, I was what we would call a parentified child. And a parentified child is a child who either parents the parent because the parent is going through whatever or is incapable or is put in the place of a parent. Like I'm, I was the latter. So I, I was responsible for my brothers and sisters, even though I wasn't old enough to even be responsible for myself. And so what it created in me was a lot of anxiety, fear, and doubt. There was some underlying depression in there as well, feelings of unworthiness and believing that I'm not good enough because, you know, when you're 12 years old and trying to raise little ones, you're probably not good enough to do that because you're not old enough to do that. And so that kind of translated across the board in my life. And, um, and so, you know, I would just, I would, I had a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. My anger would come out on people that I was closest to. And so I decided to go and get some therapy to figure out, you know, what is this? Because it's not who I felt that I was inside. And it was just very, just kind of like a tumultuous existence because on the outside, I was able to do things like get an education, like I, and have a career. I, my undergrad degree is in journalism with an emphasis in broadcasting. So I did, you know, television news reporting uh, one time, you know, for a while uh, and like I said, I worked in a consulting firm and, and things like that. So I was able to function in my life and even to have, you know, close friendships and close relationships and things like that. But, you know, like the anger was, you know, often right below the surface. And I didn't really understand it until I went to therapy myself and uh, processed some of the trauma of my upbringing, the, the neglect some of the things that I was told about myself that just, you know, were not true, that logically I believed were not true, but in my heart and in the essence of my being, I, I did believe it. I made agreements with it, you know, and I go over that in my book, 
about how one of the things I was told when I was younger was my mom told me that I was going to die young. She had traced a line on my palm and told me and that that was pretty young when she said this, um, that I would die young. And so I spent a good part of my childhood and even my teen years thinking that I was going to die young and just being afraid of that. That was one of the things I dealt with in therapy and and uh, processed it and got to the other side of it for the most part or so I thought until one of my younger sisters had a stroke at 37. And I wasn't thinking about that belief, but the anxiety and the fear that I was feeling, I thought it was because, you know, she almost died and I thought she was, she might still die and things like that. And that was part of it. But what happened was that old belief of that I was going to die young had surfaced because here was my young sister who was younger than me and she almost died, you know? So. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I resonate a lot with that. Um, wow. Like what I can only imagine like being so young and just be, having that kind of fear and anxiety of just thinking your life is so short. You could die like at any time. Yeah. Like yeah, out. Yeah. And what was that? What would you say? Was there like a, a pivotal moment where you're like, what happened where you were like, I have to go get therapy? Because there's a lot of people. I'm sure you know this. You know, there's a lot of people. I think everybody, everybody has experienced trauma to some degree. But those that mm -hmm. really need therapy and that need help, they refuse. They refuse yeah. therapy. You didn't. Well, a, a pivotal moment for me, it happened, but I still, it still took a couple of years for me to actually go and get it. It's when I was working for an ABC affiliate in, uh, in Louisiana, after I, I got my degree in journalism here in California, I went back because I'm originally from Louisiana. And when you want to do television news reporting, you have to start in these really tiny little towns. And it was me and my daughter. I was still married to my first husband at the, at the time, but I had planned to take my daughter with me. So it was just going to be her and I. And I didn't want to go to, you know, a little small town where I knew no one. So I went to a little small town in Louisiana where I knew no one, but my family was driving distance away. And so I think the pivotal moment for me was I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was at the station something happened and I was crying and it was very upsetting. But what I remember about that was the station managers telling the news director, what is she doing? Why is she crying here? Figure it out and make her stop. And it's like, I didn't even know that, okay, this, that's when it was like, oh, this must be unprofessional. Like, cause I've always been professional. Like I'd always show up and do whatever work I needed to do. But the fact that he said it like that, it, it made me feel like something was wrong with me. And maybe, and he was right. Like, I don't, I don't mean to say that nothing was wrong with me. I, I clearly needed to go and figure out because whatever happened, it was probably on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a three, but I was responding to it as if it were a 10. And so he had picked up on that and, and his uh, level of what is wrong with her made me ask my, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I responding to this at such an intense level where I can't keep it together in this professional setting? And so the thought occurred to me even then to, I should go and talk to somebody 
but I just kept on trucking with my life and, you know, just kept going and going. And it wasn't until a friend of mine uh, told me that she had met this therapist in a dentist's office and had this conversation with her and she was planning on going to see her. And something in me was like, go and see her. You know, I had gone to therapy a couple of times before this particular therapist, but it never really resonated. Like it was kind of like basic stuff that they told me. And so I know that all therapists are not created equal, but going uh, for something is better than not going at all. But it wasn't until I went to this therapist that I felt a shift. I felt that she got me the things that she was telling me, they resonated. I was able to apply things to my life uh, in order to heal and to in order to address what needed to be addressed under the surface so that when something happens at a level three, I can experience it at a three or maybe even a four, but not a 10. Right. And so a lot of times that's an indication that you need to uh, um, review or look into getting some healing about something when whatever it is you're experiencing, you know that it's not, you know, like what do the what do the kids say now nowadays? It's not, it's not that serious. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like it's the most serious thing in the world. <laughs> then that's an indication that you probably should go and talk to somebody about it. Yes, I agree with you. Um, you know, I can't can't get that thought out of my mind because I agree wholeheartedly because I'm somebody that has also done healing work. And I agree. We're never done. You know, I spend each day where I want to be better than I was yesterday, every day, mm -hmm. you know? So I agree with that statement, but I, I, I have this question in my head and I don't know if I'll ever get an answer. So I want to ask you, why do you think people who know that they could, that they need help? Why do you think they refuse it? What do you think that that factor is that just prevents them from saying, okay, I'm going to get help. It's two major things that, that, that I found. It might be other things depending on the person. Uh, but two of the major uh, things that I've come across in my work, just in within myself and also in my work with people, the first one is fear and it's fear of the unknown, not knowing what's going to pop up. I mean, if you, like the first time I went to therapy, I was I think 26 or 27 years old, I had probably spent, you know, 15 years stuffing all that stuff down and figuring out how to function and survive. So to go dredging it all up, talking about it, I didn't know what impact it was going to have on my life. Like I grew up with this uh, phrase that I would hear the adult saying from time to time that uh, so-and-so cracked up. Girl, she didn't cracked up, you know, and and that what that meant was someone probably had a mental break and they went either to a facility or like in the South, a lot of times people don't go to facilities or get checked in. They'll just be at home and just like out of commission. And then sometimes people would get checked in. So I was I think one of the things is just fear of the unknown, especially if you've done a masterful job of keeping it under wraps so that you can keep on keeping forward, you know, going forward. And then the second thing that I've come across uh, with regards to why people will know that they should get help, but then they don't go and get help is something uh, called like homeostasis, keeping things the same. Whatever life you're living, you've, you've spent some time cultivating that life, right? right? And you're used to whatever is going on around you, even if what is going on around you 
is dysfunctional and disruptive. It's what you're used to. So the brain looks for and seeks out that. It wants patterns. It wants the familiar. So the minute you have a thought of, gee, I need to go and talk to somebody about this, it will be followed by another thought that you don't need to do that. You know, I mean, what, what do you need to do that for? You know, you will eventually talk yourself out of it. And so I think those are the, the two main ones. There, there are others, I'm sure, but those are the two that, have, that I've seen like within myself and in working with other people. Fear, fear of the unknown, like dredging up things that you've carefully and meticulously packed away or put on the back shelf so that you can function. And then uh, being used to a certain way of living and your brain and your, your mind doesn't want you to go digging because it will upset what, you know, has been cultivated. Again, I agree with you. <laughs> Personal experience and, and research. I mean, I wrote that in my own book, too, um, because people need to know that. And I just wish people out there could just know that, yeah, it might be scary, but it's almost like the way I would describe it is it's like jumping into the deep end of the pool. Like, you know, you know, when people want to stick their toe in the water, it's like, just jump yeah. in, just jump in. Like once you get past that initial, ah, you know, jumping in the pool, it's, it's wonderful. Like it's beautiful yeah. because you rise higher. The world looks brighter. Like you're, you're not bogged down anymore. You're just, you end up being happier. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So I, I encourage everybody to go out there and get help. Yes. Um, but speaking of books, I would love for you to share uh, your book. I love your title. Um, well, let me just read this part. In your book, it says, Tracy shows readers how to differentiate between voices that compete for our attention. Self, Satan, society, and the savior of Jesus Christ. You want to share your book title and talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's called Many Voices, One Truth, and it's available on Amazon. And it really uh, stemmed from a lot of different things. Part of it was that's what I see in on the couch here in my office uh, where people have a lot of thoughts running through their mind. There's a lot of voices competing for their attention. And one of the forms of therapy I use is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And a lot of your listeners probably would have heard it. It's CBT. A lot of people are very psycho savvy nowadays because of shows like this and because of uh, things on the internet and on, on uh, social media that give people information that, that they need to help them with them in their lives. And so CBT is something that I use in my practice uh, all the time. And the basics of it is uh, cognitive means your thoughts and how you're thinking and behavioral means the behaviors you're choosing as a result of it. So I thought I would combine some of my CBT practices with some of the prayer practices that I engage in. I, I consider myself a contemplative, which means that uh, I do spend a lot of time in prayer, but I probably spend equal and maybe sometimes more time contemplating, you know, meditating on the word of God or meditating on what's gone or the thoughts that's coming to my life, uh, I got coming into my uh, mind and, and experiences that are coming into my life. And so I used CBT, excuse me, and some of the prayer practices that I engage in to teach people, 
you know, first, how to identify the differences between all of the voices and the voices that you named. I, I use them as an analogy because when I was growing up, we had we didn't have cable. Cable existed. I'm not a complete dinosaur. Cable existed <laughs> in our household. We only had four channels. We had ABC, CBS, NBC and PBS. So if we were watching any one of those networks, if we were watching anything on television, it was probably one of those networks. And your thoughts are the same way. There's all kinds of messages being broadcast to you. Uh, and what it, it, it just depends on what you're tuned into that's going that you're going to hear. You can choose to turn some down or turn them off and then turn on or turn up others so that you are taking in the truth and taking in things that are edifying to your soul. You know, like God and Satan, they are complete, you know, I don't want to say opposite because Satan is a created being, you know, uh, so someone's opposite is their equal and, and he's definitely not, you know, God's equal, but broadcast from that network will always be disparaging and negative or kind of, um, uh, where you, you groomy, like that, you know, like bringing you into a certain way, uh, everything from God's voice will always be edifying. You might not always like what, you know, he says, but it will be truth. It will be edifying in nature. Self and society, they could go either way. Like, whereas the other two voices do not influence each other, self and society can go either way. Like if you are listening to something from self and it's disparaging, I'm not good enough. Nobody loves me. I can't make friends. That's probably coming from the side of yourself that has had negative and disparaging experiences, whether it's from your family of origin or whether it's from, you know, peer groups. But if, if you're having uh, thoughts like I, I am capable and I can do this, it might be coming from a side of yourself that has experienced goodness and, and uplifting. It could also be coming from God, but it could also be coming from that side of yourself as well. That's based on your experiences. Same thing with society, like social media gets a, a bad rep for the most part because of the negative effects and the negative effects are real, but there are also positive effects. You know, there are young girls on YouTube, like, and I'll follow some of their suggestions. Like I'll pick at, like I'll do like workouts that they're doing. Um, I, I direct a lot of my clients to their evening routines because they're very clever about, you know, um, cooking up evening routines to help people get a good night's sleep. And they're just young women that have tried this themselves. So that side of social media where you can get information to make your life better, information that's suited to you, that's good. But then the side of social media that uh, has you comparing and being negative or uh, being disparaging to yourself or not believing in yourself, then that's not a good side. So with self and society, it could go either way, whereas the other two, they're either or or. I just loved it the first time I heard you describe that because I, it was just so true, like right on point. And I just love how you laid it out. It's so beautiful. Um, I encourage everybody to go to Amazon and get her book and read it. Um, how can um, people reach out to you if they're like, man, I need Tracy in my life? How can they reach out to you? Well, we have a, a website for um, uh, therapy. It's um, healingthemindandspirit.com. 
And I'm also on, or we are also on Instagram at Healing the Mind and Spirit. And for me, Tracy, all my writing stuff, it's at Tracy Terrace on Instagram. And you can join my email subscription list by going to TracyTerrace.com. And that's uh, T-R-A-C-Y-T-A-R-I-S.com. Thank you for sharing. And we'll be sure to have all the links um, in the description box for everyone out there who wants to jot that down. And um, I'm so grateful that you came on. But before we let you go, I just wanted to know if there's like one thing that you could say to that person who's on the verge, who is afraid, who has that fear of getting help. What's something that you could just say to them to just that might just encourage them to, if not call you, to call somebody and get that help? Yeah, Uh, A phone call costs nothing. Just give it a try. You can go on to uh, psychologytoday.com and put in your zip code and look at a few of the profiles. Most therapists will have a free 15 or 20 minute telephone consultation. And so it doesn't have to be even Zoom. Look at some of the profiles, check out what they have to say and what they offer and see, find two or three that resonate with you. And then make the phone call, call them. And if they pick up uh, right away, you can have that phone consultation then then and there. But if they don't, it, it doesn't mean the universe is against it or this isn't something that you should do. Most therapists work, you know, uh, from hour to hour. So they may be in session. So leave a message and somebody will get back to you. And in your message, ask if you could have a, a telephone consultation that you're thinking of coming in for therapy and you wanted to see if there was someone that you can speak with and someone will get back to you. And then when you're on that phone call, give a little bit of information of what's going on with you. And if the person has feedback on the call, then that's a good thing. If they don't have feedback on the call and they just want to book you for a session, it might not be a bad thing, but I would go with the person that, that resonates with you, that, you know, you, you have a question, they answer it, you like the way they answered it, you like what they said, and it sounded like it would work for you, then go ahead and schedule. Therapy is not a contract. Even if you go in for the first one session or two or three sessions, if, if anywhere along the line, you feel like, A, I got what I came from, I don't need to continue this, then you can do that. Or B, this therapist isn't a good fit for me. You're not locked in. Just go in, assess for yourself, and then make another phone call because there. I think there's one out there for everyone. You might have to do some digging, but yeah. And if you resonate with Tracy and her story and with everything that she's spoken about, again, I encourage you to reach out to her. And you can even learn more about her in her book. So, you know, reach out, use the links. Um, thank you, Tracy, so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure for me as well. You're very welcome. Thanks to all your listeners out there, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye for now. (laughs) 